Okay, everybody, we're sitting here with Jude Steele. Uh, this is episode three of the Made Meaningful podcast. They finally, they finally let me on <laughs> for a slight second. <laughs> That's probably not even going to be put in, but it's okay. <laughs> um, what do you have to say for yourself, son? For myself? Yeah, like what do you, what do you like about this family? Um, we are all very connected. We're very all very open. And we have a great relationship. We're not only family, but we're also like best friends, you know? That's so cool. Any other thoughts you need to say about your brother, your sister, your mom? Shaved my stash. You shaved your stash. Over the last few days, Jude's been growing a fuzzy (laughs) caterpillar on his upper lip. and It's been pretty lit. I I wouldn't call it lit. (laughs) I would call it... Disturbing. (laughs) (laughs) I would call it dim. Dim. It was dim. It was not lit. It was it was That's flickering. Unfortunate. Flickering mustache. Just trying to be lit. Just never caught on fire. Never quite caught on fire. No, that's tough. Well, we're waiting on my wife. She is in the room with Kennedy. I just heard her close the refrigerator. So, oh, so uh, Jude is about to hit the hay because he's been at football practice the last three days and it's kicked his tail. It's been very brutal. So how are those Wimberley Texans looking for the 2020 football season? Pretty good. Okay, everybody. Mom's here. He's so I'm going to evacuate. Number seven in your program, number one in your heart, Jude Steele. Jude Steele, everybody. Come on, give him a hand. He's going to bed. God bless. My wife and I poured our heart out in that last episode, episode two, and, you know, just gave us, gave you guys our deep thoughts. Our I don't. Introspective did, ideas about community and I mean, the did. feedback that we got. The feed, the only feedback that we got was, <laughs> "Did your goat get eaten by a coyote?" <laughs> that is the only. That's the truth. That's actually not the only feedback. Very, very kind people. Some of y'all yeah. shared it. Thank y'all for doing that. Um, on this episode, we're gonna change the speed a little bit, and we're gonna talk about the most difficult times that we've had. And try to just be very frank and very open and very honest about those times. So I hope you're ready for this. My name is Robin Steele. I'm Erica Steele. Welcome to the Made Meaningful Podcast. Everybody, we're so glad you're with us again, and you all have provided such encouraging feedback. That's always helpful, yeah. And we're just really enjoying it, and we love um, sharing our story in hopes that um, it's helpful to other people. So today's topic is going to be a little more difficult to uh, process, and um, you know, we don't outline these podcasts out and really chart what we're going to say or have extensive notes that we're following or anything like that. In fact, the only thing we do is say, this is the topic mm-hmm. and then let's talk about it. And so I'm not sure exactly how this is going to turn out, but um, we want this to be a very open, honest, frank conversation. And we want it to be a real conversation Um that's not scripted. Right. So here we go. Today we're talking about these difficult, difficult 
times that we've had. And um, one of the things that we struggle with is um, the balance between talking about how good our life is and also talking about the reality of how hard it is. Yeah. In the last episode, I talked about our life being, quote, normal, and Erica pushed back on that. And after the podcast, we talked about it again. And I think the the best way to say it is that our life is not normal at all. <laughs> our life is not normal at all, but our yeah. life is good. Yes. That's yeah, exactly. I, I think that's what I felt whenever you're saying we have a normal life. It was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Hang on just a second. It's, it's not normal. I mean, we don't have a... Um, we definitely don't have a typical American family and that's, you know, covers everything from having a disabled child to kids with food allergies to, um, you being a pastor, be me being a midwife. Like there's so many variables there that aren't typical and average. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's just different. And so it doesn't feel like putting normal, Seemed like a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, so we probably err on the side of being positive and always talking about the good times and how we're pushing through and we're going to make it and blah, 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 posting pictures of us all smiling. Sure. But I think, and I think that really comes from, I don't want to be a whiner. Yeah. I do not want to be a whiny person and be like, oh, poor me. Well, it's important to say here that when we are positive, we're not faking it. Yeah. It is a real yeah. positive. Right. Absolutely. It's not, I mean, good grief. Yeah, faking it is not a strength in this family. Okay, so having said all that, we're going to talk about the opposite today. We're going to talk about the difficult times. Um, I want to start with you, my love, and I want to ask you if you were to think back over the last 18 years of one or two just tough, tough time, brutal times, what pops out first? Um, Well, the first thing that initially came to mind was, um, you know, there was a time when Kennedy was a baby, and I can't remember. I want to say she was a little over a year old, and my mom had come over to babysit so that you and I could go on a date, and we went out, and I remember so clearly driving through Austin. I remember just talking about Kennedy and things and the care that she was requiring and feeling so overwhelmed and feeling this vulnerable moment um, and just saying, some days I think it would have been easier if she died. Mm. And, man, it was just, I just remember crying in the car and driving and just thinking, this is so hard. It's it's really hard just learning all the different things, the medications and not being able to do things that were typical and, and the unknown of all the future ahead of us. You know what? I mean, goodness, I tell you what, if you told me in that moment that we'd be here 18 years later. Um, it would have been overwhelming. Oh, man, it would have just it would have been more than I could have taken in in that moment because it was it felt so overwhelming that I didn't know how to take the next step then, much less another 18 years. Well, tell me some more about that um, 
you know, the pressure, you said the medications. Mm -hmm. uh, what else? What else was it that moment that was so difficult? I had been able to nurse Kennedy from the time she was born until she was about nine months old. And then we had transitioned off of that. She started aspirating, which meant that she was getting some fluid, like whatever she was drinking milk-wise was getting in her lungs. And, um, and then she had been able to eat some baby food. But about that season, she was getting to the point where she couldn't eat much by mouth either, even baby food without she one she wasn't getting enough two she was still aspirating it and getting some in her airway and we had made the decision that we weren't going to be able to feed her through her mouth anymore that we were going to have to transition to a feeding tube and it was it felt like such a huge loss because we had you know breastfeeding and and feeding her baby food was such a normal thing that's what normal kids do you know and and um and so that n normal part of life that we had, that small portion of normal was being stripped away. So we had already, you know, she wasn't meeting milestones. She, we were giving her medication every day um, with injections. Um, things were already didn't look normal, but we, we kind of had this one little piece. And it just felt like, okay, here's another thing. This is just another difficulty that... We thought we had this little piece of normal, and that's being taken away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, early on we thought when you were still pregnant that she was going to be healed in the womb and that when she was born she was going to be normal. Well, that didn't happen, you know. But then the yeah. first six months or so that we had her at home and, you know, we'd go out in public with her, people was like, oh, it's such a cute little baby. And yeah. uh, we kind of hid mm -hmm. behind, like, yeah, she's she's cute, she's normal, you know. Yeah. Uh but then as she got older, I remember clearly going back to New Mexico with her and seeing some old friends up there. And when we saw them, there was one lady that was like, is something not normal or something? She asked you, she just could tell at, right. at six months that something wasn't quite right. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, she her head was a little misshapen from all the fluid issues that she had. But, but um. As she got older, you know, people started staring in the grocery stores right. and um, stopping and looking and asking questions and little kids saying, you know, what's <laughs> wrong with your baby? And it was more the kids, which, I mean, we've always loved. I think kids are just so honest and um, <laughs> they just are like, what's wrong with her? <laughs> you know, and they don't know that Why they're... Why do her legs work? <laughs> they, they don't know, you know. I mean, even, gosh, I mean, the stories we've heard, like, why did she stick her tongue out? Why did she do that? And um, We answer them, and they're like, okay. And yeah. they run off. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, recently, um, Kimberly, Kennedy's nurse, and I went to Costco, and we had Kennedy... And we were doing just a regular shopping trip. Well, Kennedy had fallen asleep during our our trip. And so we're pushing her along. Well, when Kennedy falls asleep, sometimes she sticks her tongue out. And it's just like poking out of her mouth. So she's asleep with her eyes closed and her tongue sticking out. And we're just strolling through the store. And here comes this mom and this little girl. And the little girl's, 
you know, like kids do, riding on the front of the basket, you know, just standing on the bottom part of the basket and holding on to the front of it. And she goes by and she's like, Mommy, is she dead? <laughs> it was like, Kimberly and I were just, I mean, we laughed for quite a while over it, just thinking, yep. So let's go back to the moment there where you think, you know what, mm-hmm. it would have been easier if she just passed away. Were you thinking like, you know, I want her to pass away? Man, I think that's really hard. I think there was definitely the temptation to believe that it would be easier if she did. Yeah. I mean, it was it felt so hard. It felt so big that I really couldn't see beyond that moment mm-hmm. of things being any um, any easier or better or anything. I mean, I loved her, but I was so overwhelmed. Yeah. Any other times uh, stick out? Uh, yeah, I mean, on the, on the flip side of that, really, um, you know, last year, her intestines got blocked and she ended up in the hospital for quite a while and had surgery and all kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, during that time, there was that point where we weren't, we honestly weren't sure if she was going to make it. It was, it was a moment where I really realized how hard it would be if she did die, Mm. which was just, it was so overwhelming for me. Our friend Sheila came up to see us and visit us and, she lost her husband a few years back and we were talking just about the possibility of loss and of Kennedy dying. And it just overwhelmed me because I thought, I thought I'd been prepared for this, you know, for, for 17 years, I thought I'd been prepared. You know, I thought, I thought when she was 18 months old, that, that that would have been easier. Um, and and I couldn't have imagined that we'd get this many years down the road and it would feel so grieving. And I had this realization, like, even all the things we've been through, all the difficulties, all the, you know, ups and downs and surgeries and everything, um, at the end of the day, she's still our daughter. She's still my girl. And losing her is just... huge you don't want to lose your child and that's hard yeah so talking about her dying thinking that she she may die thinking possibly that we want her to die or that it would be okay if she died and that might be better for her and us um really brings up the point of death in general and mm-hmm. how this whole situation with Kennedy has uh, introduced death to us mm-hmm. and made it a constant thought. Because, you know, she was given six months to live when she was born. And so, literally, we th- the doctor said, take her home and enjoy her while you can. Yeah. And so we took her home and did that, you know. And then when uh, the next flu season came around... Flu uh, is a big threat to her, 
and pneumonia of any kind is a big threat to her. You just sounded like a preacher. Pneumonia. 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 <laughs> pneumonia is a big threat to her, literally, for, for years. Every time flu season would come around, it was like, okay, well, is this going to be the year? God, is I she going to die this year? It was more than that for me, honestly. I mean, I, and I don't know if that's because I'm mama and, you know, I'm, I'm geared that way. But I've always said for the first, you know, when you come home from the hospital with that um, diagnosis that we had and with somebody saying to you, take her home and enjoy her for the next three to six months at best, it really, that begins to entrench into your mind this idea that you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and your child's not going to be there anymore. Mm. Just like SIDS or something like that. Yeah, and and so, man, you live in that. And, um, you know, it was... It was years, year after year of getting up in the mornings and going in there and literally walking up to the bed and hoping that she was still breathing. And um, it was it's so interesting how the seasons go and they change and, and you're still living life and doing things. And honestly, it was... She was seven years old, about seven years old. And there was just a moment for me. It's like, huh, I don't think she's going to die like that. Mm. So for me, it, I wasn't, I didn't have that daily thing. I, it was, to me, it was like flu season, as I said mm -hmm. earlier. And it was like, you know, and maybe every time she got sick, mm -hmm. it was like, mm -hmm. oh, she has a fever. Is this going to be it? Is mm -hmm. this the one that's going to take her out? Yeah. And so it's just constant, you know, she's going to die. She's going to die. She's going to die. She's not supposed to live. She's supposed to die. You know, that mm -hmm. whole mentality for so long. And then I had that same moment that you did where finally it was like, she's not going to die. Or at least she's not going to die until God allows her to die. One time when she was two years old, she aspirated big time and had to be rushed to the hospital with the ambulance. And she was on ICU for 10 or 11 days. And I thought she was going at that point. And she didn't, you know, she just, you know, all of a sudden her oxygen level starts going back up. They can start mm -hmm. turning down the, she was on a ventilator to turn a ventilator down, take it, took the ventilator out. She's back at home. Hey, here we go. We're mm -hmm. back at it, you know, mm -hmm. and over time, uh, two things happened. One was I realized just out of, uh, you know, that experience that God was going to be the one to dictate when she was going to die or not. And then the other transformational moment was when I kept praying for her to be healed, you know, early on yeah, to be healed and have that condition taken away. And when it wasn't, I just kept praying, kept praying, kept praying. And I finally got exhausted and, and and it, and it wasn't that I just gave up because I was tired, but I had this you know revelation that I was desiring so much for her to be different that I wasn't really loving her for who she was, mm. and I couldn't 
just love her for being Kennedy because I was trying so hard for her to be different. Mm. And it was at that moment mixed with this other idea that she wasn't going to die that was like, God has a different plan here. Yeah. And we need to be open to that. All right, so now I want to ask you about how this, all this, you know, experience that we have and, you know, honestly, faith journey that we've been on, how does that give you a perspective of the current COVID-19 environment? I think, you know, there's this acute awareness of our our lives. None of our lives are guaranteed, and we've we've had this um, all these years to think about the potential for death, but it's also really emphasized to us the need to really have good quality of life, to really live life and not be cowering in fear and being isolated from from the rest of the world. That doesn't feel like quality of life. So when Corona started, I felt like you and I had this uh, extra ability to deal with with the heaviness of it, because we had gone through, uh, you know, chronic illness boot camp with Kennedy, <laughs> you know, and um, so people would ask us, "What, you know, what are you thinking about, you know, with Kennedy? You know, are you sure you're concerned? You know, she's vulnerable and all mm-hmm, this stuff." And mm-hmm. it was so weird to just be like, "No, actually, we're not." And it was like not even for a day, not even for a moment were we concerned about Kennedy dying from coronavirus? I think, well, can, I would like to rephrase that for myself, and I'm not saying you I, that you didn't feel that way, but I think for me it was this awareness, yeah, she could. She could die from it. And we're going to be cautious, and we're going to wash our hands like we always do. We're going to use germ gel when we're out in public and we don't have access to a sink. Like we always do. Like we always do. And we're going to wear masks in the places that we need to wear masks and um, we're going to be cautious. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. That's what I meant. There was no, like, I'm not saying we weren't, con- you know, considering that she might die. I'm saying right. that there was no fear about it. Honestly, there was no yeah. uh, trepidation about let's hunker down so that Kennedy lives longer or that we live longer because of her track record with viruses and because of her vulnerabilities, we have lived a life of wisdom for so many years with washing our hands and not going into certain places and, you know, just being wise. We've been very wise about it. Like you said, we're, you know, doing what we need to do with wisdom. Yeah. But at the exact same time, that doesn't mean we're not going anywhere. Right. I mean, we were, I was at a restaurant the days they open. <laughs> so you have a scripture. Yeah, I think, and, and this is what has resonated with me so much in this season um, because there's been so much fear. And, and I, you know, I have, I've had moments of thinking, oh, my goodness, is this, is this wise? And, um, you know, our boys both have asthma. So they, they're at higher risk. Kennedy's at higher risk. Like there, there are real risk factors there, but um, 
at the end of the day, I, Matthew six twenty seven was just what rooted in my heart. And it says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And it was just so good. Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour, not a year, not a day, but one hour mm-hmm. to his span of life. And it just, um, it's so good and so true. Um, that doesn't mean throw caution to the wind and, you know, run into um, a house with coronavirus and hang out with everybody. Start licking you know? door handles. <laughs> We're not advocating being crazy and being irresponsible. But I think our heart through all of this has learned that um, we are not promised any amount of time. God knows how long we're going to be here. And, you know, one of the big things in um, palliative care and, um, you know, preparing for end-of-life care, essentially. and Tell them what palliative care is. Erica likes to drop these big words on people. She's kind of, you know, she's in the medical field with the, as a midwife. I'm not trying to drop big words. The, the it's kids just the say name of she's the... like half a doctor, so she's like <laughs> palliative care. It is no palli- one knows what that palliative is. care is comfort care and care for people facing terminal conditions. They really talk about quality of life and what does quality of life look like for that person. And how can they support that person, giving them the best quality of life until they die? And it's it's so important. I think it's it, I think it's really essential in lots of ways because it's the idea that you hear in songs or movies or whatever, um, not waiting to live until you're dying. You know the whole the whole thing of of living life and yeah. living it fully. And um, which has been the impetus for us going on vacations and yeah. and spending time with our, our boys in ways that are typical mm-hmm. that aren't affected by um, this, the medicalized needs of our daughter yeah. so that they can have some kind of typical quality of life. I think that has prepared us in so many ways for this season where there's this t- temptation to not live life anymore where there's so much fear and so much attempt at controlling things that really the Bible says we have no control over and our hope doesn't rest in that control. It rests solely in Jesus and his goodness and kindness towards us and his perfect plan for our lives. And we can so rest in that and we don't have to be anxious because it doesn't change even an hour of our lives. We can just rest in that he's good and kind and knows every aspect of our lives. What I want to communicate, I think, is that there is some brokenness in this world. We won't escape that until Jesus comes and makes everything right. We can't escape that there's evil, there's brokenness, there's sickness in this world. There is going to be heartache and tragedy that we cannot possibly make sense of. But God, he is so faithful. And that is where our hope is, that if we die, 
if our daughter dies, if one of us dies from this virus, and we've done everything we can to be cautious but still live life, God is so faithful that he can redeem that and he can make something beautiful out of a situation that seems like there couldn't be beauty out of that. Are you going to ask me about my most difficult times or <laughs> we're just going to spend 41 minutes on your <laughs> difficult time? Mine are not as, I don't have as many deep, long thoughts as you do. That's normal. That's tough. <laughs> Tell me about your most difficult time. Well, thanks for asking. What we need is piano music or something now that you're talking. (laughs) Let's add piano music right here. Okay. The hardest time that I can think of, um, and I I wrote this in my book. I don't don't know if I've told y'all about my book, but... Here we go. I wrote a book... uh, it's coming Are out. you looking for it? It's right looking, there in front of you. I was looking for it. <laughs> I wrote a book. It's coming out September 15th. Uh, go to mademeaningful.com. So, Are you going to tell them to like and subscribe? To like you? and That's later. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to my most difficult time. I wrote yeah. about this in the book because it, it stands out to me so clearly. I walked out of the doctor's meeting where the doctor said that Kennedy had this condition called alobar holoprosencephaly. She was a couple of days old. She had just had the MRI. They said, your daughter's condition is much worse than we thought. And that was the meeting where he said she's going to live for six months. I remember walking out of that doctor's meeting into the hospital hallway and my dad was there. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I leaned up against that wall in the hallway, and I was just so broken. And my dad, you know, was awesome, came up to me, put his arm around me, and, you know, just kind of asked me what was going on. And, you know, I, I said what the doctor said, and then I said two things really upset me about this. The first is that she did nothing to get this. You know, she she is just an innocent baby being born and she did nothing to deserve this. She's innocent in this. Mm-hmm. And that just is so tough for me to wrap my head around that she has this problem that is a life sentence and it is just brutal it's not fair it's not fair and the second problem is that no one is going to value her for who she is as a person they're going to see her Mm -hmm. handicapped and they're going to write her off Mm -hmm. as someone less important or less valuable Mm. than who she really is and I just just was like so torn up about those two things and um so that was a that was just a tough tough moment, and um, another another one that was it's, what's interesting about this is like we kind of go in and out of these moments, and it's kind of good in a way that we both don't crash at the same time. But like mm-hmm. over the over the years, you've been having a rough moment, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, 
It's so it's so and fascinating. Then I'll, be, I'll be breaking down, and she's like, "What's wrong?" Uh-huh. You know, she's, "What's uh-huh. wrong with you?" And um, so sometimes it's been difficult uh, to see other kids her age, um, you know, progressing at yeah. a certain stage in life, and knowing that you know that could be Kennedy. Yeah, you know, and. It's not always that way, but just like randomly, it just hits me, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll see somebody doing something that's Kennedy's age and I'm like, man, that's, that's terrible, you know. It's, wait a minute, for clarification, when you say that's terrible, what do you mean by that? I don't want him to be doing that. I want him to be crippled like Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Hey, we say we're going to be raw and real. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it just, it's tough because it's just one of those moments where you're honest and you're kind of like having a pity party and you're thinking, mm. I wish my daughter was driving. Yeah. You know, I wish yeah. my daughter was uh, in the choir. Yeah. I uh, wish she was able to, uh, you know, say my name. I wish she was able to uh, do anything, (laughs) you know? Like, I wish she could. Mm -hmm. So, but I don't live in that moment, you know? I don't live. I'm not bitter. I'm not upset. But there are moments when it's like, bam, it hits you. It's like, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Um, One of the moments that sticks out like crazy is I was with some, friends and uh, are you sure they're friends you paused as <laughs> well, if you weren't sure uh, co-workers I wasn't sure <laughs> <laughs> one of them starts making a joke about riding the short bus mm. a short bus joke and I stopped you know, the, the butt of the joke is, or the meaning of the joke, the funny part of the joke is, you know, ha, 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 ha. They ride the short bus. They're special. Right. And I stopped and was not laughing, obviously. And I said, do you realize that my daughter rides the short bus? Man. And the room was dead silent. Yeah. Everybody was just stunned because they just don't think about that you know Mm -hmm. and I was so upset yeah he apologized I'm Mm -hmm. so sorry I didn't think about that sure and he's changed he's not going to make that joke anymore obviously the word retarded is a word that is very difficult to uh, listen to people use it that as a joke all the time Mm -hmm. um but it's interesting how language changes, and now people understand. Most people understand that retarded is a a very offensive word when used to make fun of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they've changed to saying special. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's special. Mm-hmm. She's special. And people begin to mock. Really, they're making fun of people with special needs. They don't realize it, but they are. Mm-hmm. So short bus jokes, special jokes, retarded jokes. These are all ways that we feel that pain 
mm-hmm. and people um, don't realize they're saying stuff, but it's hurtful. It hurts, you know. Mm-hmm. How do we end this episode? I don't know. So, um, hopefully, you know, the discussion has stirred some thoughts, maybe built your faith. Erica went off on little preaching tangent there. It was really good. She brought the word. It's really good. Um, maybe you're educated a little bit on jokes that are inappropriate. Um, what else? Apparently, they know about palliative care now. They know about palliative care. Throw that word around. Throw that, throw that word. Use that word. <laughs> palliative care. You need to tell them to like and subscribe to the podcast. Oh, my word. Y'all, please, for the love, like and subscribe. Whatever it takes for Robin to not say it anymore. But he's probably going to say it every time, whether I say it now we had, or we not. We have had eight people rate our podcast what on itunes come on five stars come on somebody would love for you to do that and honestly i i I do enjoy seeing that that's cool but the reason why podcasters say that kind of stuff is because it just simply helps get the podcast out to more people so that more people can hear it and get the message um, and so would love for you to subscribe to the podcast, like, and subscribe to the made meaningful podcast and to the 17th person who reviews our podcast. We're giving you a $50 gift card What to, uh, Luby's cafeteria. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're not giving any <laughs> gift cards away. I was getting excited. I was fixing to like try to be the the fifteenth or seventeenth or whatever. You, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna rate it myself. Just log in, fake name. No, it's just my name. Rate my own podcast. <laughs> we will we'll figure we'll figure out a giveaway for our next podcast because that that's what the cool people do. They give away stuff. Okay, I tell I you like what, giving I, away stuff. I, I would love to give away a book. That would be good. I wrote. I, know I don't know if y'all know this, but I wrote a book. Oh my god called how to be made whole and y'all i have pre-sold since our last podcast i pre-sold six books oh you thought you were gonna say 600 no (laughs) six books shut it woman (laughs) how many books have you sold down author okay hey but we have had we have had quite a few people uh, listen to the podcast. So good. So good to have you listen. Um, and, and many of you have shared it and comment. So thank you so much. That it's mm-hmm. so cool. So cool. We're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, as for now, we love you guys. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye.